the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's time for a conversation about the things we share in common. Our common hopes, our common fears, our common struggles. Together, we'll wrestle with the questions that we all have about the issues that affect our lives. This is The Common Good. Now, here are your hosts, Brian Fromm and Ian Simpkins. Welcome to The Common Good. My name is Brian Fromm alongside Ian Simpkins. We're glad you're joining us on this rainy uh, Monday afternoon. I don't think we're ever going to see the sun again, man. Uh, I mean, I doubt it entirely. <laughs> I looked I've reached run. despondency. I, look, yeah. I looked at that, the long-range weather forecast because my kid plays baseball, and I told him today, I don't think you're playing. Like, <laughs> I think your season is done. <laughs> Looks like you play indoor soccer now. That's your, what you play. <laughs> your season is done. Well, we're excited to be with you today. Uh, you can find us on Facebook at the Common Good Radio Show or online at 1160hope.com or wherever it is you find your podcast. And you can always text us at 68683, type in CG, followed by the comment. Well, Ian, we're, we're really excited to be uh, joined in studio. That's right. Uh, by Patrick O'Connell. He's going to sit in with us for a while. I'm Woo! not sure he knows what he's getting himself into, but this is going to be fun. So, Patrick, <laughs> thanks for joining us today, man. Thanks for having me, guys. This is awesome. Absolutely. Patrick, let me give you some background, is the director of New Thing, which we'll talk about a little bit more. Uh, after graduating college and a stint in the Army, he went to work in the corporate world, becoming a vice president in an investment firm. But it's during this time he got connected uh, with community and eventually found his way back to God. And this led him to go off and to help start a church. And yep. now he's given his life to church planting and right. all sorts of other things. And so I guess I want to start with your story a little bit, just some background. How do you go from a vice president in an <laughs> investment firm to uh, to being in kind of church planting work and church work? That's a big change. It's a big change and it's hilarious, isn't it? It's really funny. It's a good story. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, it's uh, very funny that it's my story. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, think, I think the first part is it's funny that I'm a Christian. Mm. Uh, I wasn't expecting that, uh, but God got a hold of my life. And then uh, he got a hold of it during a time when I was kind of making my way in the corporate world yeah. um, and found uh, just for various reasons that wasn't amounting to where I thought things were going to go. Um, I am a very poor poker player, so I'm all in, you know, so it's like one hand and I'm out and then, uh, can we, can we play poker? Later? I would yeah. Note to self. Yeah. Yeah. So it was kind of this thinking, Hey, if Jesus is real and the gospel is true and, uh, um, uh, the church has been doing what it's been doing for centuries, then I need to be able to give my life to it. Mm. And that led to a conversation with God about eventually planting a church and uh, it was really after that that I got a taste of what it was to serve others who were planting churches, and mm. that really changed my life. Yeah. But it's that simple, and it's that it's 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 a God story for sure. That's awesome. incredible. Right, I want to get into the weeds yeah. a little bit there because yeah. I know a bit of the context. Yeah. You you finding your way back back to God really is an emphasis on the word finding, right? It wasn't this uh, like meteoric moment. In fact, like your wife was going to church first, right? It was a sort of like uh, you should check this thing out, and you guys were. 
you guys were punk rock kids, yeah. right? I think you. Yeah, I think the met, story you tell you met in a mosh pit, we right? We met in a mosh pit. We were married. We're married 27 years. Wow. Yeah. Hey, Nancy. Uh, and we. Uh, Good man. We, uh, uh, three great kids. Yeah, we just were the unlikely people to make it in marriage, and uh, my wife was asked by a neighbor to go to community, and mm. it's just mm. the power of the ask, you know. So, um, and that really had a profound effect on my wife, but I was. I was going to have nothing to do with it. Yeah. Um, I'd grown up a little bit more of a seeker, you know, more of a, uh, the, the kid who has taken comparative religion in college. And, uh, hey, what, what about the Buddhists? They got some really cool stuff mm, yeah, to say, right. too. I like their clothing. Uh, yeah, yeah, I like their clothing. Those orange <laughs> garments could go well with my bald head, you know? <laughs> so, um, but, yeah, it was, uh, it was during that time I began to see some things going on in my wife's life mm-hmm. that, and, and even just ways she treated me differently some issues of forgiveness that she went through that God helped her with. Wow. And so we, we became all in at community. That's what I love about our culture at community is uh, it's all about helping people find the way back to God. Yep. And there was a safe place to do that. And, uh, and then, uh, you know, once I was involved, because uh, I'm that kind of guy, we, we got to work. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so you didn't dip a toe in the waters then. You're like, once I'm in, I'm fully in. Like yeah. I'm. Yeah, community's got a culture that... Um, invites people to get in the game. Yeah. Uh, I guess that's the best way to put it. That's good. Uh, they're open-handed. Um, I heard about Jesus and salvation, took hold of that. But then I also heard about the mission of God. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that literally uh, ignited my imagination. Wow. And uh, it has been, uh, I, I've never really looked back. And so leadership development, small groups, all coaching, all the things that we do, but then eventually church planting in Kansas City, uh, which was an amazing experience. Yeah. Oh, tell me more about that. So you, you become, you come to know Christ, you're growing, you're, you're getting involved. That's still a big leap. Like let's go to Kansas city and help start a church. <laughs> uh, help me through that process. What's that conversation like with your wife and, and just internally as you're like, you know what? I, I want to go help start a church down there. Yeah. Community is a church planting church. And mm-hmm. now of course the organization that I lead new thing uh, was a part of that, but there was a group of people leaving community to go to Kansas city. And the dream was, to change the spiritual landscape of Kansas city. Mm-hmm. Uh, we didn't go out there to just plant one church. And so again, a guy like me, I'm like, yes, let's do it. <laughs> yeah. Um, and uh, took the risk and yeah. God showed up. Uh, you know, I remember sitting down with Troy, uh, the guy who was going to lead the church. And I'm like, so how much does this church planning gig pay? And, uh, <laughs> that know, was question number yeah, one. Yeah, Cause I got a corporate salary, <laughs> right. you know, benefits, <laughs> company and, car. Yeah, yeah. Just said, well, you, whatever you could raise. I'm like, <laughs> what? <laughs> like so door was, to door? Yeah. Like, <laughs> ask my mom. Like, she doesn't have it. Yeah. <laughs> so, doesn't but um, God was good. And we raised some money and we brought a team of people out there and we planted a church and mm. I began to coach and train church planners, fell in love with all that stuff. Uh, went back to Wheaton, nice. uh, started getting that theological degree that I, I didn't have. Mm. And, uh, and then about five years ago, Dave Ferguson asked me to come back to Chicago and we really weren't eager to do that. Uh, I'll tell you the mm. truth. God was doing some amazing things. And, uh, but yet I kind of know now enough, uh, in my journey when God's calling me to do something and it really, for me and God, it comes down to, are you going to be obedient or not? Mm-hmm. It's the only question. There's no gray area. And I'm not saying I have any insight that any, uh, anybody else doesn't have. I'm just saying, I know when God's telling me to do something. And, uh, the, the only question I'm having is, am I going to do that? Or yeah. Not? yeah. And so we knew that Chicago was it. And so we came back to Chicago and I've been leading new thing ever since. Awesome. So I, I think that's kind of a million dollar question just as a pastor. I don't know that a week goes by that somebody doesn't ask me in some way, shape or form. How, how do I know God's will for my life? I, mm. Like you just kind of touched on it. Like I know 
when God's telling me to do something. So for me, it's a, ma- a matter of obedience. How, how do you know so clearly? Like, I'm just curious, as Patrick O'Connell, the person, like, take us inside the head a little bit of Patrick O'Connell. Like, how do, you, how do I just know if it's obedience or disobedience and to hear the voice of God? Uh, that's a fair question, man. Um, you know, I do spend a lot of time in Scripture. So I'm a mm. reader. I'm a voracious reader. Uh, the Bible was an easy way for me to, like, all right, I'm gonna f- we've got this God who's revealed himself in Scripture. That's awesome. Let's yeah. start there. Let's spend a lot of time in it. Let's be a student of the Bible. Um, I would say prayer life needs to confirm it. Mm. And, and I just have a rule that I got to pray for something for a couple of months, you know, and it doesn't, it's not 60 days, it's right. maybe a month and a half, maybe five months somewhere, you know, but, uh, it's not overnight. Yeah. Uh, if I've got the opportunity. And then the last one is what are the people in my life who I love and respect who are following Jesus have to say about it? Yep. So, um, that for me has worked. I mean, I'm sure there's other ways. But Absolutely. For me, that's that's fantastic. That's awesome. Well, yeah. we're off to a good start. You're listening to Patrick O'Connell, the director of New Thing. When we come back, we'll talk a little bit more about New Thing. What is it? Uh, and also kind of your passion to see new churches planted mm-hmm. and uh, what drives that and what do you think the future holds? So excited for this conversation. Uh, you're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. You can find us on Facebook, as always, at The Common Good Radio Show. That's The Common Good Radio Show, online at 1160hope.com or wherever it is that you get your podcast. Well, Ian and I are excited to be joined in studio by Patrick O'Connell. And again, as a way of reminder, Patrick is the director of the New Thing Network. And I guess I just want to start there, Um uh, those of us who are pastors, like, oh, yeah, I know what new thing is. But most people listening have no idea what we're talking about. So maybe if you can help <laughs> people understand what is this new thing that we're talking about. Oh, this is uh, something I'm passionate about for sure. Uh, it comes out of Isaiah. Mm-hmm. And it's this idea that God is not done. He's on the move. Uh, he's a creating God. He's doing more. And uh, he asks us to be a part of it. Mm. So we would say that we're a catalyst for movements of reproducing churches. Mm. What does that mean? That churches, church planting in particular, give life to their local communities. Mm. And the more churches we plant, the more people get involved with the mission of God. Now, of course, there are other ways to grow the mission. There are other ways to grow the kingdom. Those are awesome. But New Thing catalyzes that, which means that we are not doctrinally or theologically aligned churches. Those are important characteristics, and and we we should be all about that. But what we're about is being friends on mission. So, uh, and if you think just about the concept of friendship, Jesus calls us friends. Mm -hmm. I think he encourages us to be friends. And then the idea is, hey, friends on mission uh, have a little bit more tolerance for each other. They're a little bit more sacrificial towards each other. Uh, So we are trying to create this collaborative environment where Mm -hmm. these churches can come together. We don't do the planting for them per se, but we catalyze it in and through them because the local church should be planting churches. Yeah. That's my conviction. Yeah. And it's really around four values. Very simple. Relationships are at the core of that. Um, and it, it's about staying connected as friends, being mm. invested with one another in, as friends. It's about reproducing all levels of the church, that mm. every single level of the church needs to be reproduced. Yeah. Mm. The church is an organic, uh, alive system and uh, must be moving forward. And then we talk about sharing resources. By the way, it's all God's resources. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so right. everything from buildings and money to people to discipleship practices, yeah. you name it, whatever could become a kingdom asset, we say, let's, let's share it. And then the last one is residency. And for us, that's a church planter apprentice. And it's this idea that we as the church 
need to be about investing in the next generation of leaders. Mm. It's our responsibility. It's our mandate. And uh, I have very low tolerance for this inability to do this. We have got to invest in this next generation. Yeah. And I'm not just talking about teaching them the Bible. I'm talking about getting them in the mission. Come uh, on. And so that's all we do at New Thing, and we're doing that globally because God's good. Awesome. Okay, so that sounded like four R's, right? Yeah. Can you just say those four again yeah. for anyone trying, like, yeah. rushing to get a pen and write yeah. those down? They're so good. And this is on NewThing.org, of course, but uh, relationships, mm-hmm. and these are in no order of priority, by the way. Got it. Relationships, reproducing, resources, and residency. That's brilliant. Okay, so here's a question that I don't think I've ever even asked you personally. Two things about your story that I, I have no context for. I've never served in the military. And I've never been a VP of a prestigious investment firm. Yeah. Um, yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. Right. 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 Well, you're probably too old for the young. Right. right. <laughs> Do you feel like those experiences have equipped you mm. in any capacity to mm. do what you're doing now? Is that did that inv- uh, involvement change the way that your brain works, the way that you see people or movements or mission or any of that? Like, how, how have you seen those things play into what you're doing now? Yeah, I appreciate that question, man. It's only in hindsight and looking over my life, you know, how, how God's working. Yeah. I call it it's like the Joshua 4 where God's working upstream. He holds the waters, right? Mm. I didn't know what he was doing. Right. But yeah, when I look at the military, how to be a part of an organization that has a maniacal focus on accomplishing something. Mm. I think there's a lot of analogies to make with the church. Mm. Um, and then with business, relationship building. Mm. God uses relationships. And so our best asset are people. Bottom line, period. Yes, do we need money? Yes, do we need leaders? Sure. But people are the asset of the kingdom. And so I would say in answer to your question, Ian, yes, Army and then business been fabulous proving grounds for me. That's fantastic. Mm. So uh, trying to flesh this out a little bit more, uh, is this, um, it almost sounds like a denomination, but it's not a denomination. I'm sure you guys get that question a lot. How do you answer that if someone's like, oh, did you start your own, is new thing a denomination? Fair. Um, and I am not a uh, church history scholar, mm-hmm. but I would say most denominations arise out of some theological arrangement uh, or commitment. And we, mm-hmm. we certainly are classic evangelicals. Like, yeah. you know, that's, that's true. Um, but I'm going to argue that we are a, uh, a centered set organization versus a bounded set. And uh, what I mean by that, and this is taking maybe back to math class, you know, in high school days. So sorry. I didn't do well with those. So yeah, I. I, I had to go back. And, <laughs> trust me, I just you know. But a centered set, we can be about those four R's, mm-hmm. and nobody has to be in control. Whereas in a bounded set, somebody has to be in control. Oh, I'm not in control of new thing. Mm. Like nobody answers to me, right? Or Dave Ferguson and John Ferguson, our founding uh, visionaries. What we are doing is we're making commitments to each other. So unlike a denomination, we are trying to keep the uh, reproducing at the fringe. We are trying to keep it at the local level. Hmm. And nobody's answering to me like, oh, here's how I did my job this year. Interesting. Um, I'm, sign off on it. Yes. No, because we're friends. We should be about the same thing. Hmm. Let's help each other. And new thing will stand by you and support and encourage and help. And, and come in alongside you in any way we can. And we do have deliverable platforms, yep, but right. that's really our ethos. So it sounds like that, in a lot of ways, is the engine to not just success in North America, but globally, because those feel like principles that transcend culture and context. Like, when I even hear I remember it was like my first or second month at Community, I was walking down the hallway, and you were set up somewhere in the cafe, and I just overheard you say, 
well, Nairobi's ready to plant. <laughs> and I like, and I like paused. I was like, where do I work? Like, yeah. what universe is this that Patrick's having a conversation yeah. with somebody I know in a different state about Nairobi yeah, being yeah. ready to plant? And like, like, do you find that like having that be your cent- your center ethos has helped transcend some of maybe the more uh, global barriers that other church planting networks have had? Totally. Really? Yeah, I, I think um, it's a great question. Uh, if you think about the gospel and the history of the church and the history of the, the movement of Jesus or the mission of Jesus, it does transcend cultures. Mm. So why? Well, I mean, there's a lot of reasons why, um, but and obviously we're not going to get into them today, but I do think that the church in its best expression is collaborative mm. in nature and that the more that we are collaborative, uh, and collaborate together, the more glory God gets. Mm. And so anything that prevents me from collaborating with my brothers and sisters in Christ, I probably should just check myself yeah. <laughs> and just ask, is this tradition mm. or is this theology? That's great. Right? Yeah. Is this something that I was just brought up to think is right? Because if you think about the church in Nairobi, Kenya, or the church in Laos, or the church in Sri Lanka, after we, you know, those terrible bombings. Yeah, right. Um, those churches look and feel and taste different, but yep. Jesus is still mm. the head of those churches. That's good. And we'd rather focus on that piece of it and kind of be okay with let's focus on the majors and the minors. Yeah. It's okay if we have some differences. Yeah, let's no just kidding. be friends and talk through them. That's so good. Do you think that's what stops us from being willing to collaborate? It's more of a focus on the minors, it's more what makes us different than. What is it that unifies? Because when I hear you, I'm like, collaboration sounds wonderful, but then you look across the landscape and there's mm. not a lot of collaborating going on. So I wonder what you think stops us from being more open to collaboration. Yeah, I think uh, we forget that collaboration is a skill set mm. and we just don't enter into collaboration and still remain uh, in the mindset we entered into collaboration. Yeah. Collaboration requires that I sacrifice and give up some elements of what I'm trying to do. So that I can help you do what what God's trying to do through you. That's good. You. Yeah. That's the challenge of collaboration. Absolutely. Well, that's that's good stuff. Let's keep them. Yeah. Let's deal, keep deal. them. <laughs> we're going to keep going into the next segment. We're excited to be joined by Patrick O'Connell. Coming up next, we're going to keep talking about the church and keep talking about new thing and all sorts uh, of other things. So you're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life, alongside Ian Simpkins. My name is Brian Fromm. We're glad that you're joining us on this rainy Monday afternoon. And we are uh, really excited to continue to be joined by Patrick O'Connell. Patrick is the director of New Thing, and you can learn more about New Thing at newthing.org. That's newthing.org. Yeah, Patrick, you were just talking about the uh, significance of collaboration in your model, and I know that... I can only assume somebody listening might be thinking, did he just say that our theological distinctions aren't important or mm-hmm. that we shouldn't care about doctrine? And I know that you're not saying that at all, but would you speak to some of that rub? Because I feel like sometimes that very much is the barrier to true collaboration because mm-hmm. we're like, oh, they, they're they a pipe organ church and we're a drums and electric guitar <laughs> church. We could never – like you're not saying throw all distinctions out the window or even all tradition out the window that those things don't need to be – a barrier to collaboration. Could you, could you talk to that a little bit? Yeah, not a bit. And uh, tradition is good. Mm-hmm. Mission is better. That's Ooh. all I'll say. <laughs> Light up the text line. <laughs> so, so um, because I do believe, if, if, let's just talk about the Gospels. If you mm-hmm. go back to the Gospels, which I, I do, and I imagine many listeners do, um, they're easiest to read, by the way. Yes, <laughs> yeah. yeah, no kidding. Don't start so in Leviticus. Right. Yeah, okay. right. um, 
But if you look at what Jesus is trying to accomplish, he's trying to start something. And his intent is that this thing that he's starting, uh, of course, theologians can speak into this, but this thing that he is starting is going to con- continue beyond him. Well, how does he do that? He invests in a very small group of individuals and basically says, you're going to have to figure this out. Hmm. And he doesn't give them a whole lot right. to go on. Right. Power of the Spirit, prayer, hmm. uh, grow closer to the Father. I mean, hmm. so when, when I, uh, about hmm. a year ago, I was feeling, you know, new things, an awesome organization, but like all of us, I want my life to matter and I want to give it to something. And I want to make sure that I'm doing all I can to motivate, inspire, equip the church to collaborate, to grow the kingdom of God through church planting. So I went back to the Gospels and I said, all right, what is Jesus actually saying to do yeah. in this concept of collaboration? And I came to three things. Uh, there's many more than these, but these are the three essentials as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. Um, number one is the great commission of Matthew 28. Mm. It's clear. Now, Jesus does say, go make disciples and baptize. I get that. But we're just going to talk and say more churches will yep. do those things, yes. right? Yes. right? So the great commission. The second one is the great commandment. Mm. You know, our posture, our ethos needs to be the people of love. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, we'll just leave it at that. So let's go to Mark 12. <laughs> let's not. No, let's not. <laughs> we are to be uh, the witnesses of God's love in yeah, the world. That's right. Um, and I, that's, by the way, these are commandments. These aren't suggestions. Yeah. These aren't, these are, these are, I'm asking you, I'm telling you to go do these. Yes, yeah, yeah. yes. And then the last one is out of John 17. Mm-hmm. And then Paul picks it up in 1 Corinthians 12. And I've just, I just started calling it the great collaboration. Mm-hmm. And Jesus, I'm paraphrasing here, basically says, your unity will be a witness to the world. That's right. And then I started thinking about my old punk rock days and my, mm-hmm. my old days as a non-believer. And I'll tell you what, one of the biggest challenges I had with the church was y'all aren't on the same page. Mm. You don't even seem to like each you other. You don't even seem to like right. each other. This yeah. guy's calling this guy this and that. And, right. and I'm sure there's all good reasons for it, but that's where I get back to the mission. The mission is what matters. The yeah. mission gives life, not theology. If I think about the New Testament, I love the New Testament. I am a theologian myself, yeah. but the, the, the New Testament is a missional document. Mm. It's written as Paul and others are on the move. They're writing about the church. They're writing about this mission. They didn't stop and go back to Jerusalem and say, right. all right, let's, let's get all the rules down. Yeah. <laughs> so Jesus yeah. even says, right, even greater things, things you, you will, will do. learn. Yeah. No, yeah. Right. Do. <laughs> go do them. Right, right. Well said. Yeah. yeah. So that's where collaboration comes from. Mm. Cool. I want to keep pushing in on this collaboration one. Why do you think we're all pastors? And uh, pastors, I've told this to someone the other day, and they were really surprised by this. I said, we're the most competitive people you know, but we tend to be competitive with each other. Mm. It's mm-hmm. like, how big's your church versus mine? It's not, oh, how can we work together to conquer this? And so I'm wondering how you fight. A, I'm wondering why you think that is. Because now, even when I say it, yeah, it right. sounds weird, right? <laughs> that we're right, right. competitive with each other and like the size of our church when the grand scheme of things doesn't really matter. And then I'm wondering how you fight that in new things. So I'm guessing there's probably a little bit of competitiveness that comes out even within there. And so oh, yeah. why do we think churches do that? Why do we think pastors do that? And then how do you fight that in your organization? Yeah, it's a great question. And uh, what I would bring it back to is um, it's about the kingdom, not our castles. Mm. Now you're asking the why question. Um, I think part of the why question is we've forgotten that along the way. Um, I think there's a little bit of desert mentality in uh, the body uh, that 
seems to believe it's responsible for doing everything and forgets mm-hmm. that the power of the Holy Spirit is at work in and through us. Yeah. And we just don't trust God enough. So we're going to we're going to control it. We're going to label it. We're going to market it. We're going to make sure. And I, I'm not I'm not criticizing any of those things. Yeah. Right. I do all those things. Totally. Same. But you're asking a very important question. Um, but at the end of the day, in my heart of hearts, I must submit my castle to the kingdom. Mm. If not, I'm, I'm a fake. Yeah. I'm, just, I'm, I, I'm not true to what this thing is all about. Yeah. And so I think we struggle with that, even culturally. Hmm. We live in the United States of America. You're, you, you know, you're yes. aware of that. <laughs> I love our country, yeah. but we do have an individualistic culture. And yeah. what I mean by that is only in contrast or in comparison to other cultures. Hmm. If you go to Africa or parts of Asia you find much more communal cultures. So it's interesting when I'm doing new thing trainings in other countries, um, their first response, unlike the American pastors, and I love you guys, uh, (laughs) unlike the American pastor, is how do we do this together? That's good. Because in their their, um, uh, ethos, they don't have all the resources that we might have. They have different strengths and weaknesses. Right. And so I think just in the United States, what we've got to do is just be responsible to our sense of individualism that we bring to the church hmm. and just make sure that we continue to submit ourselves hmm. to the kingdom. And listen, the greatest churches in the world will be gone one day yep. and the oh, kingdom wow. will endure. That's, good. That's really good. I, so that reminded me of a conversation. One of the things that I love about just knowing you as a friend and having you local, and maybe we'll get to this later. You're also pastoring one of our locations right now, which this segment might as well just be brought to you by caffeine. I don't know how. I don't know. I don't know how you do it, man. But I remember so Charles and Chero did a residency with yeah. us, and we were writing a talk together. And that's again we yeah. write collaboratively. I love that about yeah. our, our our church and culture. And we were debating about whether or not to to go into this topic of power, God's power. Mm-hmm. People were feeling kind of wishy washy. Mm-hmm. And Charles says that is so strange to me yeah. that you guys are waffling on that. He said, and then I'll never forget this. He said. We talk about power constantly because we always feel so powerless. And in America, you guys talk about presence because you feel so alone. Wow. And I thought, what an insight. And I thought about the last 10 sermons I gave. I'm always talking about presence because yeah. of this isolation, because of this tendency towards individualism. How, how do we get better at that? Because plenty of people listening aren't church planners or not pastors. Just as Christ followers, how, how do we come out of hiding a little bit and actually engage one another in a collaborative sense to find a way forward? Yeah. It's a fantastic question. I think we've got to wake up a little bit and realize, and you know, our great friend Dave Ferguson has got this idea of, um, and I think he's taking it from others, but Dave gets the credit, um, <laughs> but my fruit grows on other people's trees, yeah. Yeah. and that I wake up every day to be a hero maker. And um, I think we've just got more to wrestle with in the American church mm-hmm. because maybe we are resourced. We're not bad. I'm not making any right. criticism here. But I think God's calling us to uh, submit a little bit more in that way. Mm. And that's, that's good for spiritual growth. Yep. I think that's a positive. Yeah. But I think that's one of the biggest reasons. And then, you know, our, as the culture changes and moves against the church, I think it's going to be, I think it's going to constantly p- try to pull us back into the desert, if yeah, you will. That's good. And it's going to be like this, this um, scarcity mentality rather than this abundance mentality. That's really we got to beat that. Yeah, yeah no absolutely. kidding. No kidding, man. We're excited to be joined by Patrick O'Connell. Again, he's the director of New Thing. You can find out more at newthing.org. And when we come back, we're going to talk some more about church planting and more so about the mission of the church and uh, what we all see going on kind of in our communities and our area. So that's what's coming up next on The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life.
Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. You can always find us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show. You can text us any of your questions, comments, uh, just reactions to the people we've been talking to. You can do that at 68683. That's 68683. Type in CG and whatever uh, you want to share with us is good. Well, we're going to be share. Uh, we're going to spend some time, a little bit more time, with Patrick O'Connell. Uh, Patrick, thank you so much for spending so much time with us. This has been a lot of fun. My privilege. The uh, time, the time has flown by. By really the way, has. man, I love, I love hearing your they, heart. They I call me the king here. of Funitas. <laughs> <laughs> Laid back and fun. Calls <laughs> <laughs> you that? Don't tell him. Yeah. <laughs> His wife is texting now. Nobody. <laughs> It's all my new approach to life. That's good. I like it. You're, you're very zen right yeah, now. Right, right. It's the old speak it into existence, yeah, and it is right. true. Patrick is the director of New Thing. Global director, global by the way. Yeah. Global director of New Thing. And if you want to find out more, we've been talking about what New Thing is. You can find it on the podcast if you missed it. But you can go to newthing.org. That's newthing.org. And Patrick... Uh, as we have a couple more minutes together, just how can people get involved? What does even getting involved look like hmm. uh, in New Thing? That's a great question. Um, so what we've tried to do over the last couple of years was create these platforms for collaboration. So uh, not to get into too much of the weeds, but I could if you're interested. <laughs> we um, we try to help churches move from um, one to five. I don't know if your listeners are familiar with the Exponential Conference, uh, but level one, two, three, four, five. We know that level five is movement. We're trying to help churches get there. Mm. So what does it take to get to movement? Well, it means that we got to learn how to reproduce at the micro level. Uh, we got to reproduce small groups. Yeah. We got to reproduce artists. We got to reproduce drummers. I mean, everybody needs drummers, <laughs> yes. right? We need that one. Uh, um, I'm a drummer. If anyone listening, okay, good, 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 good. <laughs> then you have to apprentice another drummer. What are you doing nah, here? I'm very convicted. Very convicted. <laughs> I'd like to learn the drums. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Ian is going to start an yeah. apprenticeship with drumming. I love it. Um, but then, in all seriousness, that will allow us to reproduce at the macro. Mm. So the easiest way to get in touch with us is newthing.org. Uh, we've got a, a, a form that you could fill out. We come alongside churches. Uh, very important to understand that we're not asking you to change families. We're not asking you to leave your family. We're not asking you to leave your denominational tribe. It's just about this idea of let's come together mm -hmm. in the spirit of the mission around these four values mm -hmm. and align ourselves together to accomplish more together which, by the way, is the nature of partnership. Yeah, that's right. what partner. That's the definition of partnership: is helping each other do what we couldn't do on our own. Yes, and so that's what we do. That's so good. All right, so I, I think maybe the level stuff might be new to a lot of people. Okay. Would you give us just a brief overview of one through five and how you see that shifting? Because I think we've talked uh, in other segments about most are at level three, which I think is. Um, that's kind of the plateauing area. Yes. That yeah, kind of. The churches are moving there. Yeah, very quickly. This is work done by the Exponential Church mm -hmm. Planning Conferences, and so maybe you can share the link with your viewers. Um, but um, what they've determined is, and these are just rough, uh, rough segments here, 80% um, of churches in the United States are level one or two. Now, level one is a church that is in decline, hmm. and level two is a church that is plateaued. Wow. Level three... About 16% of the churches in the United States are churches that are growing. Wow. And then level four, it's about four to 5%. And in the West, and I say the United States, Western Europe, uh, the Western cultures, uh, we have zero statistical church planting movements. There are anomalies, hmm. um, but you would have to go to Africa or the East to find true church planting movements as defined by theologians and missiologists. No kidding. So what we're trying to do is help more churches achieve 
uh, higher levels of reproducing yeah. uh, because healthy things reproduce. And by the way, it's not to cast judgment on churches yeah. that aren't reproducing. It's just to acknowledge that the church has a natural life cycle. Yes. And so we've created these environments we call one catalyst community. We call one, one of my favorite acronyms of all time, LARN. <laughs> L-A-R-N, right? L-A-R-N, launching a reproducing network. And Catalyst Community and LARN, along with a third, we call it the Multiplying Church Practicum. All these mm. are on our website. Yep. Um, are ways that churches could be a part of what we're up to. Yeah. And then in Chicago here, we've got uh, New Thing Networks in Chicago. So if you're a local Chicago church, we'd love to talk to you about that. And then uh, at Exponential at the Yellow Box in November, we will have our new thing gathering the day before, Mm. which is November 4th. And again, more information on our website about that. Well, let me tee one up for you here. I'm just going to tee one up and let you just (laughs) whack it. Uh, So especially around here, we hear a lot of bad things about churches, right? Um, We all know the names, but just a lot of stuff. It's literally on the front page of our newspapers right now. Uh, so there's a lot of beat down about local churches. There's also a lot of beat down. You know, you read this survey and less people are going to church. You read this. Yet when I hear you, you're very hopeful about the church and the future of the church. Uh, so where does that hope come from? Am I right? Are you hopeful for the lo- for the local church going forward? And what gives you that hope? Uh, that's a great question. Uh, of course. Mm-hmm. And uh, the mission gives me hope. Mm-hmm. This mission of 2000 years, this mission that Jesus birthed. Uh, with the power of the Holy Spirit. As far as I can tell, the Holy Spirit's still alive and working. <laughs> yes. yeah. um, and uh, so, yeah, is there, are there challenges in the church? Of course. Mm-hmm. Our task is always to contextualize the gospel. Mm-hmm. It must be an ongoing uh, challenge for us to face, but we shouldn't become despondent mm. or become, um, uh, become uh, dependent on our systems and our structures to yeah. do that. We should leave that to God. Now, I'm not trying to be simplistic about it either, Um, I would say one of the reasons people don't go to church is um, they are very smart. You Mm. know, people who uh, are spiritually seeking are also very smart people. And I think, frankly, and this is my own story speaking as well, we have sometimes, in a good effort to help them, but in a good effort, we have made Jesus very small. Mm. And, uh, hey, come to church, give a little, sing a little, buy a couple of T-shirts, maybe read your Bible, you're good to go. Mm. That's not what Jesus has set out to right, do. Right. And I would say, let's ask people to follow something more profound. Let's ask them to encounter Jesus in our churches, whatever mm, that looks like. That's good. Because when people encounter Jesus, it's going to change their lives. Yeah. You know, smoke machines and drum machines and all that are awesome. I'm so glad we have them. <laughs> but we need to help people experience Jesus in yeah. profound and intimate ways. That's why the beauty of the local church, because we need diverse expressions of that. See, I hope I answered your question. No, so great. Yes, this, you on, honestly, if I could just get sappy yeah. on air, that's one of the things I love about you because you have this incredible capacity to not only be this big picture, you're, you're, you think strategy, you think mission, but you also have the heart of a pastor. I really think I that you do, and I've seen that firsthand. And one of the things that Brian and I have discovered with this show is that uh, radio, for for whatever reason, for a lot of people, is sort of like a front door. They're not ready to go to church yet. Maybe they've left church. They've been burned, and radio is like a safe place to maybe dip a toe back in those waters. And so we've talked global. We've talked church planning. We've talked mm-hmm. conferences. In the last minute and a half or so, can we just get Pastor Patrick yeah. and just offer some encouragement, some hope, yeah. some um, just some life maybe in some tired bones of people that are like— do I even give this church thing another shot? Yeah. 
It's so well said, man. I remember even being in the Army and listening uh, to Christian radio way back in the day. Now, I hated it, but, <laughs> um, but, but God was using it yeah. and planted seeds. Yeah. Um, yeah, I would say for those of you who are challenged by the church, um, I, I wouldn't let anything get in the way of Jesus. And mm. uh, let yourself experience Jesus in the local church mm. in ways that are uh, transformative to you. Mm. Uh, I'm not arguing to make it up. I am saying don't let the traditions and the doctrines and the, um, the ecclesiology, as we say, of the church get in your way of a spiritual relationship. That's good. And I would say that, like all of us, human beings, we, we just want a couple of things. We want to belong. Uh, we want to be known. Yeah. And no better place and no better man to do that than Jesus yeah. and the Holy Spirit and God. I mean, that's down to it. And that's I'm so just good. speaking from personal experience. That's Absolutely. so good, man. Well, Patrick, thank you so much for coming oh, in. This won't be the last time. If you'll Not come back, we'll do Please. it again. This has been great. And uh, we're thankful for the time. Again, you've been listening to Patrick O'Connell, the director of New Thing. You can find out more at newthing.org. That's newthing.org. Well, you're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. It's time for a conversation about the things we share in common. Our common hopes, our common fears, our common struggles. Together, we'll wrestle with the questions that we all have about the issues that affect our lives. This is The Common Good. Now, here are your hosts, Brian Fromm and Ian Simpkins. This is The Common Good. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. We're glad that you're joining us here on this Thursday afternoon. Hope you're having a great day. You can follow us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show, online at 1160hope.com. You can find our podcast wherever it is that you find your podcasts. And uh, you still can text us. I don't know for how much longer because no one ever texts us. It makes me sad. <laughs> Just going to remove the text line from my life. But uh, The fact that you made that like so despondent. It deserves it. Does it, though? Yeah. All right. It's like, uh, are you expecting people to be like, no, don't take away the text line. I'm hoping, I'm hoping six, eight, six, eight, three, they're not going six, to. eight, six, eight, three type in CG followed by your comment. Because I was the one who was like, I was so sure in the beginning of the show. Remember me? I was like, people will interact with the text line. They got to get it. So, and now I was wrong. I appreciate you admitting that. Brian. I might just text it right now. <laughs> I'll know it's you. We're the only people who see it. <laughs> I need a burner. I need, a burner, phone. I need a burner phone. <laughs> You'd spend money just to make the text line stay, just to dupe me, wouldn't you? That would be a worthy investment in your life. Do I mind. need to answer that question? No, you do not. Do I need That's so. all rhetorical. Anyway, we're glad that you're with us today. And again, you can interact with us. Go to Facebook and other places. And uh, we're, we're excited to have you with us. Uh, an interesting opinion article written at the Baptist News uh, that is just entitled this. Uh, entitled... Uh, entitled millennials aren't killing the American church. Entitled churches are. That's like a, that's a big one right there. And and we often talk about millennials, 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 and how frustrating they can be. And they can be entitled and they can be this and that. And this author doesn't dispel that. He says millennials are entitled, but guess what? So is everybody else. It's not necessarily generational. It's more a sin nature problem or what else. Uh, But because of that, churches have become uh, uh, entitled and they're entitling their people and a really interesting and quite frankly as a pastor 
uh, a concept that cuts pretty deeply. Yeah, the, I'll just let me encourage you to go to the Facebook page and read the whole article. It's brilliant. It's so much smarter than it really is. A third word you used, I didn't know what it was. That was really good. <laughs> he had to go have the internet uh, pronounce it for me. So let me just <laughs> read a little bit uh, into the article, and then we'll get some reactions. Um, yep. It says, "I admit, as a millennial, uh, it's almost impossible not to get swept up in the nationwide guttural moans anytime I happen upon the word trigger warning at the top of an article about maintaining a gluten-free lifestyle with." Crossfitting heavy. Uh, I will also admit that fewer fruits hang as low and fewer dead horses have been beaten as severely as an article about millennials, entitlement, and Christianity. So I'd like to get out in front of this. Of course, millennials are entitled because everyone is. I'm entitled. You're entitled. Your kid is entitled. All human beings are entitled. The question isn't if we are entitled or how we become entitled. It's what are we entitled to and who owes us said entitlements. Here's what I mean. As a psychotherapist rooted in a school of family therapy known as uh, New Contextual Family Therapy, I was taught that all humans, regardless of cellular makeup, nationality, or socioeconomic status, aren't just entitled to food, shelter, and water, but also to what the fathers and mothers of this movement referred to as, quote, love and trustworthiness. Mm. And here's the kicker. These psychiatrists and therapists even go so far as to say unequivocally, the parents are to work to ensure the delivery of these two entitlements without expectation for repayment. And I think that is a really mm. uh, intense position to take, especially given this writer's awareness of the current social climate. And it's what I think makes it kind of refreshing because it's saying things I think maybe a lot of people have felt but haven't found the courage to actually say. Yeah. And I'm, and I'm curious in what ways you've seen some of what this article is proposing played out specifically in a church context because we're both pastors and I think we probably spend more time thinking about church life than most people, especially maybe non-vocational ministry people. But like, where do you see the parallels and what are, what are some of the dangers of that? Yeah. So with this concept of entitlement, um, it's hard, man, because we were just talking about this at our elder meeting last night and the, the draw, and this isn't, this is a little apples and oranges, but this draw to like always, uh, treat our people like consumers and try to give them everything that they possibly might want give so that what they, they can want, stay right, right. and they can stay. And the more that we do that as churches, the more that we're building that into the people. I don't think people come to churches as consumers as much as we kind of turn them into it and mm. just kind of give them what they want, give them what they want. And he even says when a church serves individuals, families, and whole communities with no expectation that they in turn will ensure the church's ongoing survival. That church is for perhaps the first time repairing the world. Hmm. And that, man, that's, that's really hard because um, I don't think that that's the way most churches work. I just don't think so. And, really? and, and, and they, we want to, uh, but, but there is, that is really going against the stream, I guess I would say. Yeah. It talks about uh, destructive entitlement. It says destructive entitlement is why your dad yelled at you in the van all the way home from T-ball practice for not hustling as a five-year-old instead of just giving you space to be a kid who knew what was mm. most important to his father. Destructive entitlement is why you spent so much of your adolescence worried about how to please your mom instead of just being a kid who knew where you stood with the woman who cared the most about you personally. Yeah. Destructive entitlement is why I went so far as to tether the whole of my early professional identity in a misguided attempt to please a God who remained both distant as well as uh, constantly disappointed in my efforts. Yeah, man, that's, this guy's a good writer, right? He's a really good, how, let me turn the question to you. How do you think this plagues the church now? How do you think this is an issue for the church? Uh, I can't say completely confidently that I think it only shows up in sort of our consumeristic tendencies, mm-hmm. although I think that's part of it. Yep. 
Um, I think that last sentence of what I just read is probably the bigger, less talked about component that when we create a, a moralistic therapeutic deism mm-hmm. that's hell bent on just simply appeasing a God who's not close anyway. Like it feels like, you know, for a lot of people at our church, the stories that I hear a lot are that I, I know that God loves me, but I don't know that he likes me and people mm-hmm. feel like unwanted house guests at God's party. And like God's trying to give them all the cues like, hey, you got you got to go like we feel reluctant about approaching God and we feel sheepish. And it's it's the great irony for me is that when we really understand the scandal of grace, but we still feel shame for admitting the reasons we need it. Like that's so backwards. And I think in grace, there's freedom to say, man, I I uh, I know my identity in God and I work hard, obviously. But, you you know, we work from God's affection, not for it. And I think that switch is so important to work from it, not for it changes your motivation. It changes all the implications. It changes. I mean, it's, it's what I think I've spent most of my life wrestling to really yeah. do well. And you and I are both pastors. So we want to do well and we want people to like the sermon yep. and we yep. want our churches to grow all these things that aren't evil, but they can become, I think much more subtler uh, manifestations of what that entitlement looks like. Yeah. I think one of the most powerful things for me when I became a dad uh was and continues to be just the unconditional love I feel for my children. Yeah. Like I never look at my kids and I'm like, well, you know, you didn't do really well today. So I'm going to give you half love Mm. (laughs) or this. Mm. And, but yet we approach God, our heavenly father, like that so often, like, uh Oh, didn't do my devotions today. Right. I kind of, my mind wandered while I was trying to pray. Uh, now, now my heavenly father's he's out on me right now. And, and that kind of guilt and shame, uh, really becomes burdensome when I would never approach my own children like that. Uh, and and hopefully most of our parents didn't approach us like that. And we're not perfect, but we yeah. have a perfect heavenly father, but yet we project that upon him that that must be how he views us. Yeah, no kidding. This this other paragraph for me just sort of, this lands the whole thing. It says, when a sacrifice is demanded, the Christian God ties himself to the altar mm. and in so doing embodies an inerrant truth at the center of all of this entitlement, namely that when you and I and even the creator of the universe give what we always needed to people who can never pay us back, we are participating in what my Jewish friends call the tikkum alam, the repairing of the world through tiny acts of restorative justice. When a church serves individuals, families, and whole communities with no expectation that they in, in turn will ensure the church's ongoing survival, that church is, for perhaps the first time, yep. repairing the world. And I just, it is the anti-entitlement, right? Yep. And I think that is such a helpful and needed timely posture that honestly even just personally i'm reading feeling very convicted by and yeah. I, you read it and you think yeah that feels right that feels like what we should be heading towards yeah, and so often we and the irony is that this is what people need to, this is what makes it good news right you don't need to earn your way yeah and yet we we as christ followers have such a struggle following that and like you said we don't even orient our churches around it it's it's really hard, and it, it's a great segue into what we're going to talk about in the next segment here, an article from Christianity Today that talks about uh, what this author calls the disappearing missionary impulse, mm. and this might actually play into that a little bit. Uh, do we even think it's good news? And so mm. uh, we're going to ask that question, is the missionary impulse disappearing in evangelicalism, and what does that look like, and why might that be the case? Coming up next on The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. I don't mean to get in a rut and keep harping on the uh, on the new music, but man, if you had anything to do with this, well done. I'll take that. I wish people could see you right now. Just you're, you're, 
I'm digging it, man. You're, you're going. You're you're a drummer. It's a good band. I think I feel like it represents our show. No, ha- okay. happy does. You know, happy. I was happy-ish. Was I'm not saying it wasn't happy. I'm saying the, the, the song happy. Like oh, we all right. No, I like I like these songs. This I think is good. I think I think I cut happy. Actually, this is these are good songs. I'm enjoying them. All of them by Modest Mouse. So we're oh, excited okay. about that. All right. <laughs> You've never sounded cooler. Did you pull Modest Mouse? No. Oh, it's Modest. It's Mouse. It's actually already played this show. Really. <laughs> You'll never, you'll never know. I'll never know. Oh, is it a different one than the one we used to? I'm not going to say. No? Our producer, John, is shaking his head violently. No, John, so. don't. John. <laughs> Jeez, Louise. Yeah, you can have hope for him, but, you know, don't spoil all the surprises. That's true. Ah, man, I thought I had that modest mouse nailed. I, had, I thought I had it just ready to go. Maybe you did. You can find us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show, online at 1160hope.com. You can text us at 68683. Tell us what you think about the music. Type in CG followed by the comment. Oh, and you can find our podcast, also The Common Good Radio Show. So, (coughs) excuse me. (laughs) You are excused. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) So I came across a tweet the other day that was a quote. Uh, of John Maxwell. So this person, I have no idea who Don Hornsby is, but it was it was hashtag leadership and he's quoting John Maxwell. And so I want to read this quote and uh, get your kind of feedback on it. If you think this is just, you know, if this is good for us as pastors, is this a good leadership quote for someone who might be a CEO or someone who's I must said just a parent that that really is minimizing parenting way too far. Someone who is a parent or whatever. We're all leaders in some sense. So it says this leadership isn't about winning. It's about bringing people with you to the finish line. Let me read it again. Mm. Leadership isn't about winning. It's about bringing people with you to the finish line. That quote comes again from John Maxwell. As you hear that, uh, someone who leads in a lot of different areas, what are your thoughts on that? I like it. Uh, I have a couple of comments. Okay. So you had mentioned earlier Dave Ferguson's Hero Makers, Dave yes. Ferguson and Warren Bird, by the way, who was, he played a huge part in that book as well. Okay. One of the things, one of the ideas that Dave talks about, um, I think pretty brilliantly is don't be the hero, be the stage, be the platform. Mm. So this idea of like, not just bringing with you to the finish line. I think, I think Dave with hero maker goes even a step further and says, sometimes maybe it's actually giving somebody else your shoes so that they can get across the finish line. You know, maybe maybe it's Mm. this passing of the baton. Maybe I'm running out this running marathon too far, but like, I think so much of mentorship and apprenticeship and hero making is recognizing, all right, I got the baton right now, uh, but who am I going to pass it off to, right? Yeah. You know, And, you know, like in baton races, there's an exchange zone, and if you if you pass the baton outside the exchange zone or it gets dropped or it doesn't matter how fast you were leading up to that, the, the team loses. Yeah. And uh, this idea of, like, really thinking about who, who am I passing the baton to, who am I pouring into, who am I being mindful of, your stage of life and the things that God's equipped you with. And I do, I do like the shift though, because I think in a lot of like corporate America, it is win at all costs. Right. And it's usually winning at the expense of somebody else losing Mm. usually. Right. And I think when that kind of language creeps into church work, it can be dangerous because the subtext sometimes is our church has to win. And that means that other churches then have to lose. Yeah. Which nobody would say it that way, but, but sometimes they live that way. There can be a yeah, a competitive territorialism that I don't I don't know is always helpful. Um, but like you know, winning we want to you know we talk a lot about um, what kind of scoreboard we have. Like yeah, what kinds of things do we actually celebrate? What does it look like? 
uh, to win here or win there. In a lot of ways, when we say, where are we winning? What we're saying is, where, where are we seeing God at work? Yeah. That's ultimately, what I, I think, what we're asking. And I think it's it's an important question to say, where are we seeing God at work? And yeah. how are we actually using our influence and our resources and our position and our posture to, to help other people get there as well. Yeah, that's good. Have you guys defined the scoreboard, would you say, as an organization, as a church? I have. I remember sitting in Exponential and being very challenged listening to Dave Ferguson hmm. uh, at the big con- the big Exponential conference out of Florida a couple of years ago. And, and Dave said his whole talk that day was about the scoreboard. What yeah. is your scoreboard? And usually as churches, it's butts, budgets, and there's another B in there. Um, there. Oh, I don't even know that I've heard that. Yeah, or th- there's many different ways to talk about it. But um, but I remember being really challenged by him as to what, not only are you winning, but how are you defining winning? And I couldn't do it at that moment. I was like, oh, right. what is it? And so I'm guessing that's a conversation you guys have a lot over yep. at a community. Yeah, the, the three words that we're using right now, and this is sort of, this informs what we call our KOs, our key objectives for the year, which we, you know, it's where we, really kind of drill down into the nitty gritty, but the three words are healthy, generous, and multiplying. Mm. And uh, we, you know, we'll impact those. And we have staff core values and all sorts of other things that kind of feed up toward that. But those are the, the three words that we're really leaning in on healthy, generous, and multiplying. And we talk a lot um, both at location specific levels, but also as an all staff, like what does that look like? How are we doing in these areas? We celebrate people that are living them out well and, uh, just keeping them out in front, I think, is is, yeah. a, is a thing that they've historically done a fantastic job of doing. Because at churches, that's what we normally do. We normally say, how many people are coming? Are you making your budget? Right. Oh, it's it's uh, it's butts in the seat, budget, and buildings. Am I growing a building? Buildings. Am I building Got bigger? It. That's Got what it. it has always been. And those things aren't insignificant. They are not bad. No, right. and they, you know, numbers matter and those kinds of things. But those are usually the only three that we ever use to judge a church by. Um, I'm interested, and I've read Hero Maker, but... When he talks about be the stage, yeah, help me flesh out that imagery a little bit. Is it like not only, not only bring somebody with you, but but put them in front of you, or what? What is that imagery? So yeah, the example I've heard Dave give a number of times is uh, Todd Wilson at Exponential. Todd Wilson, in a lot of ways, is like the he's the uh, the guy behind the scenes of Exponential. That's right, and he like lives, breathes, sleeps, dreams it, and and Dave will say it at every Exponential. Like I'm on the stage right now. But let's give it up for Todd because Todd is the one that's like living in all of this, and he's and and Dave is very involved, and in he's the you know he's the president of Exponential. But um, he talks a lot about Todd being that example of you know Todd in a lot of ways has kind of helped build this whole thing, and then gives Dave a stage, gives Dave a platform to talk about these things. Mm-hmm. So he 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 harkens back to Todd a lot as as really one of the key examples of of living that out. That's really good. It should challenge us. Like all of us lead at some level. You don't have to be a pastor. You don't have to be a CEO. Like as, as a, as a parent, I'm leading my children, right? As a, um, you know, a coach, I'm leading this team. And uh, the question becomes, what is the goal of your leadership? And Maxwell here uh, and Ferguson says it a little differently, like you said, but Maxwell here is saying, uh, think about, uh, it's not about using people so that you win, right? It's right. not about exalting yourself. It's about bringing people with you to the finish line. So I, I hear him saying a little bit like, man, wouldn't it be great to get to the end and go, we won, we won. And uh, and you know what the, the, the secret about that is going to be that if I think that when I've worked under other people, 
if they live, if they lead like that, I'm so excited to follow them, and I'm so excited to work for them, and I'm totally. they're going to get my best. Totally. That's the the African proverb that we often quote: "If you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together." Mm-hmm. And I think maybe the subtext there is: ask yourself which is more important to you. Do you want do you want to simply go fast, or do you actually want to go far? Mm-hmm. Because I think some people have to first confront the reality: they're like, oh, I'm actually not interested in going far. I just want to be known yeah. or I want to be the star or I want to be on top. And, you know, you got to call that for what it is. And I think a lot of times in ministry world, we kind of couch it with like spiritual language that, you know, we can kind of talk in circles around it. And, uh, I, yeah, I really appreciate being a part of an organization that holds these values up and then create systems to help us, to help us all actually do that rather than sort of, you know, sanctimonies and platitudes from a stage. I think the answer is probably that often we would answer that question by, I want to go far and I want people to give me credit for it. (laughs) I want them to be amazed by how far I've taken us. And it's, it's, isn't that a Reagan quote where he says that you'd be amazed at what you could accomplish when people don't actually care who gets the credit. Uh, If I don't know who said that, but that's a really good quote. Yeah. Something like that. I think probably deep down a lot of us, we're prideful enough and narcissistic enough that it's like, I'd rather go really far and everyone go look at him instead Mm -hmm. of look at them. And, and, but you make a great point when it's them, you're going to go further Totally, and you're probably going to have more fun doing it. And it's going to be a more rewarding experience. So that's the quote from Maxwell. Leadership isn't about winning. It's about bringing people with you to the finish line. We want you to wrestle with that and, uh, and let us know if you agree uh, or not. Well, coming up next on The Common Good, let's discuss this article that says this. In a divided world, we need to choose empathy. We're going to talk about this choice of empathy next on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins. Brian Fromm is still dancing. That's what I do. I- <laughs> That's what I do. Is that what it says on your LinkedIn account? Brian <laughs> Fromm. Dancing is what I do. It's what I do. <laughs> if I had a LinkedIn account, that's what uh, it would say. I was going to say, I'm going to call you a bluff. All right, you can find us on Facebook at the Common Good Radio Show or 1160hope.com. I mentioned before, this one uh, might be a tearjerker for me, even though it's not really a, a tearjerking story at all, yeah. but it is definitely something that uh, is really close uh, and intimate for me right now because I have two little ones at home. So I'm uh, I'm pretty new to this whole parenting thing. And one of the things that I hear a lot from parents, particularly new parents, is I don't want to miss it, right? Mm-hmm. And all the all the parents that are a little more experienced are like, oh, the days are long, but the years are short. Yep. I think you've probably said that a couple of times. Yep. I'm, I'm curious, even before I kind of dive into this list, like how do you feel, what grade would you give yourself with regards to the not missing it with your kids thing? I think I'm actually pretty good at this. Really? I do. I'm... If nothing else, I try to be present in my kids' lives, and my wife does as well. Uh, But it's that's it's what's really hard is what you reference there of that speed of life. Hmm. So I think both my wife and I have taken a tack that says, you know what, like we they're only kids for so long, so we're going to be the ones who try to coach their teams, and we're going to go on the field trips, and we're going to do whatever else. So I would say we're pretty active, Uh, but it is man when you reference the speed. So my my kids are. Uh, my daughter finished her freshman year of high school, hmm. uh, and then my fifth grader and my fourth grader are about to end within the next couple of days their school years. Uh, and so every now and then, you know, like a picture will pop up as a memory on your Facebook page, and you're like, man, I remember like yesterday when my daughter, my high school daughter was four, yeah, right? Right, and, right. And you're just like, gosh, this is going so fast. 
but yet you're loving every moment of it. And, and you are not every moment, most moments. <laughs> and so you're doing this wrestling with yourself where you're just like, I want it to slow down. And mm. I've told you this before because your kids are so much younger. You're on that other end where I've said, man, when I was in your stage, I used to hate when people were like, man, it goes so fast. <laughs> Be careful. Don't miss it. Don't blink. And, you know, they're singing butterfly kisses or like cats in the cradle or something to you. And you're like, come on. And But now on the other, I'm not on the other end. I'm kind of in the middle. You are kind of in the middle. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I get it. Like you're like, man, all of this just kind of whirlwinds where, where like I see pictures of my high school daughter as like a, you know, a three-year-old and I'm like, no, that's how I still see her sometimes. Right, she's still, still three, how right? I see her, but actually she has her driver's <laughs> permit and is driving oh, around. Gosh, yeah. And the other kids as well. And you're just like, oh, stop. Like, just slow down. Like, I've become that dad. And so cargo short wearing dad. There you go. So I totally get it. Uh, and then even on your end of it, you know, what is your son now? Probably 18 months or so. And 19 months. 19 yep. months. And uh, your other one. Let's see. We've been doing the show five months. So uh-huh. it'll be about five months. Uh-huh. E- even there, you're like. Oh, wait, no, we're on to a next stage. No, stop. And it just keeps going. And so, no, I totally get articles like this where you not only do you not want to miss it, but you don't want it to keep going so quickly. <laughs> like, Well, that's what's ridiculous, because just a couple of days ago, my wife and I sat and like looked at photos and Insta stories of my eldest, who's again, like you said, 19 months old. Right. And we're like, oh, my gosh, where does the time go? And I know, I know the parents of like grown kids are like, yeah. what are you talking about? man? Like yeah. 19 months already feels like he's changed so much, which is I think I'm getting better, but I don't like I don't slow down well. I don't hit pause well. And uh, I, in a really kind of strange way. Uh, my kids are kind of helping helping me grow in that in that way. And there was this this article, uh, churchleaders.com, by uh, Jonathan Pearson, and he was talking about the same thing about about one of his biggest fears was not missing it with his kids. And he he wrote this really brief article with just three uh, challenges that I thought were really good, kind of simple, practical, but also like, oh, this this is good for any relationship. This isn't just about kids. This is like a good, this is a good list just for yeah. uh, interacting in general. So I'm going to, I'm going to read one get your reaction and then read the next. Uh, number one, drop. It says, put down your phone. Mm. Simply put, that's something that's a real struggle for us millennial parents and even for baby boomer grandparents from what I witnessed. I don't just mean don't take pictures. I think picture taking can be good and fun. I'm talking more about the times when he wants me to play. He wants me to laugh. He wants my attention, but my phone has it instead. I've started to drop it, even drop it a long way from arm's length so I'm not tempted. I don't want him to see the Apple logo on my phone when we're at home more than he sees the smile on my face. Powerful. Some people can write so well. You read that, you're like, oh, that's what I do, right? Right. And so, no, this is one thing I appreciate, even when my, my kids aren't that old, but like, you go back to my oldest daughter to when she was really young. I didn't have like the phones were not even they were different back then. Like it was different. We still had a landline, you know, these kinds of things. A a what? Exactly. (laughs) And so... Uh, but now, you know, when it, it's also hard, my kids are getting older and they have phones and every now and then I'll look right. around the room and like all five of us are on our phone and right. I'll be like, Oh man, like we could be doing something right now. Like we can. Hmm. And so though the phone one, especially when your kids, like you don't want, you, you got to disconnect. We talk about this all the time, right? You got to be able to disconnect. And as long as you're always looking at your phone, it's, it's an inability to disconnect and therefore an inability to connect. Uh, where you are with your kids. Well, and I think what he's saying here too isn't just like distracted on their phone. Like, and I feel this one a lot. Anytime one of them starts doing something, I want to capture it. I want to record it. So oh, like good. a lot of times it's first steps or he's laughing for the first time. So I, I, you know, I pull out the phone instantly mm. so I could film it so I can capture it. So my, 
Isn't that kind of weird, though? Like, my my motive is to freeze this this moment in time, but I'm also missing it because I'm so busy trying to record it. And then, you know what I mean? It kind of folds in. I remember stuff. feeling that. Why do I keep referencing the Bon Jovi concert I went to last year? But uh, my wife and, and I, I have some and my brother and sister we went to this the concert was awesome. Um, but I remember at one point looking around and like it felt like 80% of the people that I could see had their phones out yeah, watching. Right. And you're like, just watch the concert. Just enjoy the concert. I know. Easier said than dead, man. All yep. right. So the first one, drop. Number two is interact. Again, maybe this seems obvious, but. Not so much. There are times when it's okay to not be talking to my son. I get that. I tell him sometimes that the world revolves around something, but it's not him. And that's good old-fashioned parenting right there. I don't have to always be talking with him. Yes, there are times when he can watch Paw Patrol on his iPad in peace. It's important that I interact with my child on his level, though, that I talk about what they're doing on Paw Patrol, that I play with him, even though I don't understand what I'm playing. The other day, I had a fire helmet on my head and was holding the back of a baseball bat and making a swoosh noise for the reasons I don't understand. <laughs> this interaction is important to his development and it's important to me that I get it. Yeah. It's, I think it's really good. It's really good. It, for me, honestly, you know, my boy is like kind of gibberish right now. Yeah. And one of the things he loves doing is having these fake conversations. I don't know what he's saying. Yep. So he just sort of gibberish back and forth. Maybe he's making fun of me. That's very possible. But just interacting with him, just playing the same puzzle 16 times over can feel monotonous, yep. but like he gets so much joy out of it. And uh, you know, the big secret I do too. Yep. Like it's really way more enjoyable than I ever thought it would be. Yep. I remember when Madeline was really little and you could take her to like McDonald's and put her in the high chair and just going and like, you weren't having conversation. You would just right. kind of interact and it was so special and it was, it was really fun. So the first one is drop. Second one is interact. Third one is check. When I pick up my son from anything, I always ask how it went, whether it's grandparents, house, daycare or church, I check on him. I want him to know that I care and that he can tell me things. I want him growing up knowing that I'm going to discipline him, but I, I'm also interested in him and what he's doing. I care. He needs to know that I care and I need to be sure that I hear all about what he cares about. And mm. I think uh, that can be easy to miss, right? And, you know, when we have big boy jobs and big boy conversations and yeah. adult things to tend to, sometimes we can forget to ask our kids, what was today like? How, yeah. you know, one of the, I mentioned this uh, a couple of days ago. The questions I want to ask at the end of the day are, how are you brave? Mm. How are you kind? And how did you fail today? And have those opportunities to say, these are things we talk about. And hopefully that establishes, you know, a rhythm of, of safety and intimacy in our family. Yeah. And it's a, it's another really good one, but it's so many of these get so, I think all of us as parents would read these and go, I want to do all of these. The hard part for us parents out there is actually taking the steps to make these happen, right? Like each of these have some intentionality to it. Intentionally putting your phone down. Yeah. Right. Intentionally connecting, intentionally asking and, and these types of things. And sometimes it can be really easy to parent with no intentionality at all. Like just trying to get through the day, just surviving, just right. surviving. And there are days, where there are days just for sure. That's all you can do. Right. Uh, but if every day is just survival day, then I think hopefully an article like this wakes you up a little bit. I'd love to know. What would you add to this list? Mm. Oh, probably something about dreaming. Oh, maybe something about dreaming. Was that your sleep kids? related? Because that's, yeah. that's, that's all I can think of. Maybe something about like whether dreaming about what could we do as a family or what could be. I said, oh, that's not a bad one, man. I came out of nowhere. <laughs> <laughs> he's literally patting himself I on the back am. right now. Physically that was good. He won the Bieber game and he's <laughs> producers clapping. Everyone in the studio right now is clapping for you. Brian from. Yes. Don't ask me what I would add. Today's that's fine. <laughs> 
It is it though? I think also like play though. Don't you think that's important yes. to not take yourself so seriously to like just okay, play. it's it's worth getting the house a little messy or to like tearing up some jeans to just have fun to like enjoy yeah. each other. I think. That's one of the things that I really appreciate about my parents. I think they've modeled that really, really well. I mean, you kind of have to. I'm the oldest of seven kids. Yes. <laughs> if you can't learn to like just have some fun every once in a while, man, oh, man, you're not going to make it. Absolutely. So uh, we land the plane the way that we always do with some interweb insanity that we did not select. We take zero responsibility for. We have not read them. We're going to read them sight unseen coming up next on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. everyone, welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins, along with Brian Fromm. This was my punk band in junior high. No, it's not nope. true. Nope. Did you know that I played in like five punk bands from junior high to high school? Oh, only because you've told us before, but I did not, I would not have guessed it. Do you want to know any of the band names? I do. I want to know all the band names. I don't know that I remember all of them. Uh, out, me the top outnumbered. Three. Outnumbered. That's a good punk band name right there. Backup plan. It's okay. We're in a band called Suburbia. <laughs> I think for one of those shows, actually, at the beginning of the show, I rode in on a unicycle from the back. I think that's how we began the show. And now, Suburbia. <laughs> yeah, yeah right. Goes. Like the least. <laughs> we were in one band called Remission. So these are all different people or not the same band that keeps changing. Yeah, sometimes the name. there was like a like one member that would stay the same, but. Yeah, bands in junior high and high school. But we were so proud of this one, though, because it was I think this was the first like Christian band I was in. Oh. And it was remission, like the old reading of uh, for the remission of sins. But the way that we illustrated it, though, is R-E like R-E dot, dot, dot. Yeah, oh, regarding the mission. We go. felt so clever. That's and I'm so embarrassed by that. Now. <laughs> but my buddy Aaron made like stickers and a website for us and we had t-shirts <laughs> and the lead singer of that band actually is now a super famous, super talented worship leader. Uh, I won't embarrass him by saying his name right now, but you did a punk band with Chris Tomlin. <laughs> <laughs> He's a good, good father, man. Let me, let me, let me just tell you. All right. So I teed it up and uh, this feels like the first hour is our like feel good hour. And yes. it's going to take a weird turn it in the is. second hour. <laughs> so, so, like, really soak up the good vibes if you, now. <laughs> if you like to get angry at things, segment one of next hour, please, yeah. is for yeah. you. What, what a teaser. But until that time, though, Brian Fromm, why don't you fill our hearts with gladness and joy? It is church by school supplies for every student at their local elementary school. I'm just going to read you the story. I feel warm already. Uh, because it is. Every now and then we just like to say, hey, this is, uh, there's good things. We ask you to send us stuff that you know of churches that are doing Uh, Really cool things, and this is one of them. A local church has made a wonderfully generous donation to a local elementary school, opting to purchase academic supplies for every single student uh, due to attend. Parkview Mennonite Church in Hillsborough, Kansas, will cover the cost of every child enrolled in Hillsborough Elementary School grades K through 5 this year. The idea came about after a local resident and church church goer uh, spotted a Facebook post which featured a story of a church supplying a local school with much-needed educational resources. After leaving the store and being in a bit of a shock over how much supplies cost for my kids, I realized what a blessing it would be uh, if a church could do that for Hillsborough. Then I thought, why not Parkview? Another of the women involved in organizing the scheme said that she was sure her church would be keen to step up and assist the community. So after a quick conversation with the church elders, it was decided the church would make a generous financial donation and ensure that all those uh, sewing into their future by attending the local school would be well equipped for the academic year ahead. 
Now, with so many young people thrilled at getting a new year of education off to a fantastic start, the ladies behind the gift are hoping it will serve as a reminder to Christians everywhere that they should count it a privilege to be Mm. able to actively invest in their local communities. She wrote, we send out missionaries to help people in other countries, but we also have to be helping people in our own country. We're doing this for people we don't even know. We just want to help and we don't want anything in return, way to go, Mennonite Church there in Kansas. I uh, really love the Mennonite Church. I'm not yep. going to lie. We hired a youth pastor when I was at Poplar who was a Mennonite dirt biker from Pennsylvania named Jarrell. Really? And yeah. Time that, out, time that, out. A Mennonite dirt biker. Uh-huh. Okay. He's actually, he, I mean, just a super smart dude. He, Our students were, we had a whole... This is sort of an offshoot. You know, I was the youth pastor who became the lead pastor, Mm -hmm. which is a a pretty intimidating environment to hire a youth pastor when I'm like, oh, where's the old youth pastor? Oh, he's the lead pastor. No, thank you. The youth pastors that we had after me were such better pastors. (laughs) I felt so grateful that our students that that aside, I love stories like this. And I think it's interesting that um, people do tend to find a general sense of warmness, even if they're not interested in Christianity or yep. Bible or church. Like, Oh, this is just good. Like I remember seeing somebody a couple years ago post an image and they said, Hey, want, want, do you want to know how you can serve the kids in your community? Call up your local school and cancel all the lunch debt. Mm. And I was like, that's a thing you can do. And they're like, yeah, it's usually like $140 or something so insanely affordable to most of us. Like, you know, we think about, Oh, that's not that big of a deal. Yep. And, but I, I never even the thought never even crossed my mind. And that's why I love stories like this, because it's people doing things that, seems so obvious like hearing you read this i'm like well duh what a great need for the church to meet right here in our own backyard but how often do we kind of get lost i think maybe you've touched on this you know we like to go do the thing we often i think miss kind of the opportunities right under our noses i cannot know lunch debt i knew it was a thing for individuals but i would never have thought of that and that's me neither where a lot of this comes from right how many stories have we done where churches tackled medical debt uh just debt in general uh, with just creativity. A lot of yes. this just takes time and creativity, which is Seriously. something that we lack. And uh, it, and this is just a cool story, but it's also, you know, it costs them. that it's, Yeah, right. It's no small cost to cover every kid at that school. And uh, But you got to love what the lady said, that, that it's an opportunity to love on your community, that we often yes. talk about the other countries, which are super important. Uh, but we neglect the needs right around us. And so what a cool thing this church is doing. Uh, and, and churches at this uh, do these types of things all the time. Um, I feel like we, not we, but just our culture caricatures per churches in a lot of ways. But in reality, most churches, big and small, uh, are incredibly generous, looking for ways to yeah. love their community. And we want to remind ourselves of that. Are there things that you guys do that are similar to something like this? Uh, I mean, we've done stuff and we... These things always get me a little bit um, feeling a little bit convicted because Mm -hmm. I feel like when we first started the church, we did this better. And there's just easy ways now to jump back in. But we did things from like bringing donuts to teachers uh, to we do a Christmas market. I think we kind of stole the idea a little bit from you guys. And so uh, did you really? Yeah, a little bit. And so we do a Christmas market every year that is. Um, wildly successful in helping people buy Christmas presents for their, you know, for their kids. Uh, we do a monthly community meal for people who can't afford it. Uh, but I love what we don't do enough of that. I love are these creative one-offs and just like, Hey, here's an opportunity, uh, a one-time opportunity. I just think it's really cool. I want to also 
dive more into i key i see more and more churches doing what that one story we did with the medical debt yes right i think it's fascinating I because too. it's like wow that's such a huge deal for people well and i gotta give a shout out to to amy Plummer and eric dorsey and their whole team they've been on the show before actually mm-hmm. they lead our community 412 effort and the stuff they do year round that looks a lot like this in a really sustainable way oh. that maintains dignity like there is something really beautiful about even like with the gift mart, we're not just giving toys away. Exactly. We get them donated and then parents can buy them for a dollar or two each. Right. That so they get to too. shop them for their own kids rather than just kind of getting a sack of freebies. Yep. And we care for their kids while they do it. And there's hot cocoa and we wrap it for them. I don't know, man. Like I'm so I'm so blown away by the brilliance of people who think things up yep. like that in the first place. And I just while you were talking, I Googled um, 75 percent of U.S. school districts report student meal debt. 75 wow. percent of U.S. school districts report student meal debt. And you'd be surprised to know how affordable, like it says, the, the median amount of unpaid student meal debt for a school district is $2,500. Hmm. That's for the whole district. So if someone's listening right now, even, I don't know, this I wasn't really planning on this. You can get like five friends together and say, hey, we're just going to, we're going to wipe it. We're going to take care of it for these families hmm. that are struggling yep. to even just feed their kids during a regular school day. That's I, just, cool. I don't know. I think that there's a lot that we could do there. Well, coming up next, there's a, a pastor whose name I can't say, not because I'm not allowed to, <laughs> but because I can't pronounce it we're gonna try but after a sex scandal he is now starting a church in palm beach gardens so we're gonna dive into the weeds on that one coming up next here on the common good on am 1160 hope for your life three-star general michael j flynn head of the pentagon intelligence agency knew all the government's dirty secrets he was one of the most respected generals in the military flynn knew what the intel world had been up to he understood its funding he ordered the first audit of the use of contractors this set off alarm bells the explosive new documentary flynn deliver the truth whatever the cost and covers the facts behind this scandal flynn told the truth he was the most dangerous person for donald trump to hire i find out the worst enemy that i'm going to face in my life is right here here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never before seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com salemnow.com <laughs> 